0: Today's message will be on the topic of honor. What I share has been deposited into me through Brother Blair's building Christian character and all those brothers who have lived out the content of those pages before my eyes. Appropriately, I will start with a quote then from Brother Blair that says all that I'm about to say in one short paragraph. Dishonor stands as one of the straightest roads to perdition and apostasy that exist. Conversely, honor is the foundation from which all other elements of Christian character arise. Honor refers to a heart and mind condition, an inner attitude that inevitably manifests in expressed words, actions, and demeanor. Honor recognizes an indebtedness, an obligation to those whom we honor. Quote. You might already know that honor in Greek is tamao, It means to value. To value or esteem something entails a prior condition, a perspective, an inward attitude of heart, an outlook quick to recognize the many gifts that have come to our lives and how we have received those gifts. Honor can describe an attitude of indebtedness that translates into an unspoken obligation one feels towards another. Virtues like honor exist in the heart as living, fragile things needing cultivation, and constantly threatened. Consider heartfelt praise like carrying a candle throughout your day, shielding it from the wind, keeping a pace to ensure its survival. If the loss of that candle's light marked a failed day, you would give meticulous care to its endurance. This is where honor is often misunderstood or cheaply imitated. Rather than seen as an inward inward disposition, ever conscious of God's larger design, Contrived honor may express itself through formal or proper externals, even a yes sir and a no ma'am. This is like building the solar system with painted styrofoam balls and acting as though you understand the powers that govern the cosmos. Heartfelt honor is one of those critical forces that places everything else properly. It must be discovered and nurtured, not sidestepped through outward observance that often only hides inner resentment. We are either moving away from Eden or towards its fulfillment as we carry honor in our hearts. In God's orchestrated temple, honor is the container that his presence fills. If we lack godly honor, we are on the road to perdition regardless of what other gifts, knowledge, or virtues we may still present in our lives. It is that fundamental to the Lord's design. This should come as no surprise. The inward disposition of gratitude and meekness is considered fertile ground in the kingdom of God, spoken of time and time again in the epistles as the only environment by which genuine relationships can grow. Shallow, paper-thin relationships are based on convenience and self-interest. However, deep, meaningful relationships have a different starting point, a place of lowliness leading to grace and the enduring bond of love. A humble person is quick to value another, esteeming them as more highly than himself. A humble person shows profound honor for what they have received and to whom they have received it. Someone abiding in humility, marked by deep relationships, is well acquainted with the boundaries of honor. They feel they have been given far more than they deserve and aim to demonstrate their gratitude. Identify a man casual in attitude towards honor and find a man lacking in abiding humility before God. Why does honor hold such a place? As referenced above, honor is the force holding together the nucleus of love. Without it, man would discover moments of brokenness, only to break the boundaries and strut in pride over and over again, wrecking relationships with those around him. The pressure points that allow a man to make humility a permanent inward disposition are the relationships in which he has been placed. When rightly packaged together, humility and honor become the building blocks of all Christian character, the atoms comprising the larger whole. One can see this even in the configuration of the commandments given to Moses. Sitting in between the commandments that would govern our right relationship with the unseen God and our brothers stands the commandment that links both of these worlds, honor thy mother and father. This is the meeting place of heaven and earth. When honor is rightfully understood, it is the most powerful way to entertain the presence of God. I want to share two examples that illustrate the points made so far. One example will highlight honor as merely a superficial observance. The second will highlight honor as an inward attitude. The first example was shared with me by Brother Ossie while speaking on this very topic. Some years back, Sister Regina discussed family honor in a ladies' meeting. To illustrate the atmosphere of honor, Sister Regina shared that none of the kids would presume to sit in Brother Blair's chair at home. In subsequent years, she was startled to learn of the, quote, chair rule, which she had supposedly instituted in that meeting. She sought to convey an abiding attitude in her children's heart toward their father, which externally manifested as often unspoken boundaries leaving daddy's chair, not taking the last cookie, not interrupting or talking above adult conversations. Sadly, others imagine that if they would simply enforce chair rules, cookie rules, conversation rules, they would somehow magically achieve biblical honor in the child's heart. But so-called honor that stems from external etiquette, conformity, and not a humble attitude of heart only serves to make better Pharisees out of unbroken sinners. When we treat life in God's order as dead commandments, arbitrary rules, we disconnect from the life found in experiencing God who desires to fill his temple fully. Sister Regina does not have a chair ruled. She cultivated a sense of honor and regard for Brother Blair's role in their home. Even a chair then finds its place in God's design, a space dedicated to the dad they esteem as the head of their home. I want to share a second example about a meeting between two brothers. We will call their names Jeff and Michael. Jeff believed God had placed Michael in his life to minister grace and guidance to him. After recently coming to the community, Michael and another minister called a meeting with Jeff at noon. Around 12.15, Michael and the other brother arrived and apologized for being late. Jeff quickly responded, Oh, it's okay. I had a time buffer of at least 30 minutes when Michael says he wants to meet. Jeff later confided to me that he felt something changed as soon as the words left his mouth. The offhanded comment had snuffed out the fragile light of honor. He still listened during the meeting, but after it ended, he realized that he had thrown Michael his dear friend and father and the Lord under the bus in front of another brother. While Jeff's story was not over, God arranged another moment to test the resolve of his conviction over the preciousness of honor. About two months later, Michael asked again if he could meet with Jeff over at his house. The time was set for noon. Michael did not know this, but Jeff had been praying that very morning about coming into his given place in the body of Christ, a function of service and ministry. Jeff showed up at noon to meet. He could hear a passionate conversation between Michael and the other brothers inside the house. Something had come up, demanding Michael's immediate attention. Jeff sat on the porch for an hour and a half. At around 1.30, Michael stepped down and said, I am so sorry, but can we plan on meeting tomorrow? Does noon work for you again, Jeff? Jeff agreed and said, I'll see you tomorrow. Michael then added that he had something important to speak with Jeff about. Jeff could not tell by the tone, but he thought it might even be corrective. Jeff went home that day, got before the Lord and said, God, if you would speak to me through this man, even if it's a harsh word of correction, I would be honored, Lord. I need you and I would wait all day to hear a word from you. The next day, this prayer was put to the test. Jeff showed up at noon. A conversation again was going on inside Michael's house. Jeff sat for four hours on the porch. He committed that day to wait, even if he stayed there until the sun went down. Now, Jeff had plenty of responsibilities that day and reasons to be offended or dismissive. However, Jeff was seeking the reality of the kingdom of God, and his heavenly father was instilling in him the all-important attitude of honor. Michael stepped down and could not believe Jeff was still there. He had forgotten about the meeting while dealing with the other challenging situation. After apologizing, he said, Jeff, do you still have time? I was praying for you, and I felt the Lord had impressed a word upon me. He's preparing you for a place in this body. Don't look past the work he is doing in your heart. He's going to use you in mighty ways. Jeff's prayer from that First morning was answered through a test of obedience, a test of honor. Jeff will experience more of the kingdom of God than many will ever know because of the great jewel he had discovered. I have thought often about the feeling Sarah eventually came to know when calling Abraham Lord. It connected the transcendent God of her trust to the place of her very home, She could serve Abraham as unto the Lord and experience a relationship with God that had such substance. We miss these places God gives us to immerse ourselves in his presence when we do not cultivate true inward honor. Standing in contrast to the dynamic pairing of honor and humility is the opposite pair of dishonor and pride. If honor means to value, then dishonor is to treat something as common. A man who dishonors relationships is a man fueled by pride. Please do not explain away this most certain correlation. If you are failing to honor relationships around you, then you stand in opposition to the grace of God. You stand proud. Given the dangers of pride, I will put some teeth to this evaluation of dishonor. I want to discuss three primary roots of perennial dishonor, presumption envy, and familiarity. Presumption is childish in nature. It operates in a place of insensitivity and ignorance. It fails to perceive the relational atmosphere between people in a room. It highly esteems itself overreaching limits through personality, opinion, or drama to ruin a conversation. Presumption transgresses limits evident to others because he thinks more highly of himself than he ought. It does not value the origin or source of the great gifts and benefits that have come to him. Instead, he feels entitled to such things. As a self-made man with a lot to say, he's eager to share his opinion before he can finish your sentence. If this man does not grow up, but just gives the yes sir and no sir responses without ever doing an accurate inventory of his backward perspective, he will always be just a step removed from the purposes of God time and time again. Envy, on the other hand, is devilish in nature. A man harboring selfish ambition can honor with his lips but have ulterior motives. He does not cherish the gifts given to those around him but covets them for his own advancement. Envy displaces all room for honor. Instead, it uses relationships to springboard itself to greater and greater heights. It will listen to someone, not to discover a deeper place of humility and instruction, but to raid, plagiarize, and thus aggrandize its image in others' eyes. It may appear to honor others, only to demand and secure, though, a greater honor for itself. This man will know nothing of the presence of God. He has a serpent's venom in his veins. Lucifer feigned honor to God as he planned his own ascent. Familiarity is a natural man's default mode, the outlook of those who refuse to hold a sacred perspective on life and relationships. Familiarity lends itself to casualness and eventually contempt. Casualness forgets its need for the body, treating as common the relationship God uses to address those needs. Casualness in dress and speech Dinner table manners, body postures, and the like express this corrosive familiarity. Meetings are approached without holy fear and expectation. The attitude instead is one of, well, I guess we'll just see what tonight will be all about. This attitude elicits no grace of God from others because it does not esteem anything that they might contribute. It discerns potential ministers of God's saving grace only according to the flesh. It exaggerates perceived faults and diminishes the potential impact of kingdom relationships. It does not recognize the God animating the whole temple. It is the posture of Uzzah who will put his hand to anything because he appraises the holy only with natural eyes. This attitude of familiarity is a double-edged sword, prohibiting God's ministry in your life, governing how others might receive it as well. A wife that sees her husband this way is a stumbling block to her children. She is a stumbling block also to the husband discovering his full of potential. A few crossed arms in a Friday meeting can prevent the full impact of God's purpose for that night. A person who cannot move from familiarity to eyes of honor never witnesses the glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Familiarity says in its heart, Is this not Joseph's boy, the son of a carpenter? In short, someone with an entitled view of themselves is quick to dishonor the places where sacrifice and service have been poured into them. They are self-willed, self-focused, and always misappraising the people and relationships that impacted their lives. They do this to God, to parents, to churches, to ministers, to employers, and on and on. Dishonor is a soil condition that allows only a phony Abstract faith to grow and thrive, and breeds individualism and disunity. I would call into question the validity of anyone's claim that says they are advancing in relationship with God, but who is not also growing in a deeper sense of relational honor. We can all recount countless Bible stories that identify the lack of honor as the tipping point of disaster. Eve dishonored her husband and brought disaster to all of God's created order. Noah, after saving his household, was dishonored by Ham. Esau, a self-made man, dishonored Isaac and sold his birthright. Lot, forgetting who led him in the journey of faith, rejected Abraham and lost it all. Korah and his co-conspirators, being too familiar with Moses, were swallowed up by the earth. Saul, with selfish ambition in his heart, failed to honor Samuel and as a result lost the kingdom. Nazareth, never lost those natural eyes in their treatment of our Lord and missed the day of their visitation. Simon the sorcerer, envious of the apostles, failed to honor the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira, feigning honor, but looking for their own applause, dishonored God's house. Time and time again, where we see a dangerous turn against the purposes of God or a forfeit of God's intentions, we find the loss of honor. These examples alone should humble us and cause us to eagerly desire to be under the protection of a heart that rightly esteems its place in God's design. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that would build an enduring house. Without a holy fear of only knowing honor and form, but not substance, we are left susceptible to the same types of disasters we just read above. Imagine never having a true family, real discipleship, or finding your place in the body because you refuse to discover the gravity honor must occupy in your heart. In the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he warned that in the last days, the church, broadly speaking, would unspiral and degrade these most critical places of relationship. He said people would be highly opinionated, quick to share their own thoughts and assessments, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. Essentially, the church would be people devoid of any sense of honor. This warning from Paul is only sobering if we have a proper view of the foundational need of these virtues. If we do not perceive that the kingdom appears in and through our relationships, then I would understand the callous view of such spiritual laws as honor. However, I do not share this view. I believe the absence of honor entails dismantling any form that can hold meaningful relationships for the church. I believe harboring dishonor in the heart makes you a tool of the devil, an instrument easily manipulated to set fires all over and then lament a house burned. When a leader discloses concerns about an overseer to a subordinate, he almost always destroys honor in the subordinate's heart. A leader might do this because of his own insecurities or the need for feedback. He might just have a loose tongue and in a moment forget it sets ablaze the fires of hell. Regardless, when a leader talks to someone under his care about how another, especially a leader, doesn't do something right, it breeds a culture of criticism, judgment, pride, and dishonor. Soon the youth is marked by rolling the eyes and quick little body language hints that says there he is doing it again. Encouraging these attitudes towards key relationships of the body will destroy the church. You might initially withstand honor's deterioration in your maturity, but the young amongst us will shipwreck their faith. Honor is the only soil in which to grow true and enduring faith, so woe to him through whom this stumbling block comes. The us and them mindset in closed networks of relationships, families, groups, and satellite communities might initially foster a false sense of unity. Still, this ugly common ground of relating is built outside of God's divine order of honor. It may feel like a shared fraternal bond now, but will corrode and finally dissolve all meaningful relationships down the road. When leaders allow any speech of dishonor against the members of their home or the kingdom, they are sawing off the branch they stand on. As C.S. Lewis has stated, we laugh at honor and then are shocked to find traitors in our midst. I want to close where I started. Honor is chiefly about operating in harmony with the spiritual laws of God's house. As Brother Blair taught, it is coming into orbit, experiencing the reconciling of all things in Christ. We are all looking for the kingdom of God amongst us, For Jesus to walk amongst us is the reality of our existence. Without a heart captured by the weight of honor and relationships, we will only experience God in passing moments. My prayer is for us all to rethink and reconsecrate our relationships. Let us ask God to determine the boundaries of honor that will guard our tongues, examine our hearts, and recalculate our self-estimation. I pray We would all earnestly cry to the Lord to rediscover honor's central role in Jerusalem's formation. I pray that in doing so, we will display to the world the perfection of God's order, his wisdom, and how we come together, how God's body brings wholeness, righteousness to this fallen world. This is where people will feel the formidable bond that connects us to one another, bonds that publish God's perfect city coming down from heaven. This will speak louder than any word we could ever share.